Welcome to the Australia Sews podcast. This podcast celebrates the Australian home sewing community and shares stories from everyday sewers transforming their lives and their wardrobes. My name is Louise Sherry. Today's special guest is Sarah McKay, better known on Instagram as Sarah Eloise Sews. As a small person living in a tall world, Sarah has a great story to share about finally being able to wear clothes that fit her properly. She also wanted to get away from fast fashion, so learning how to sew meant she was able to achieve both of these goals. We talk about indie patterns she's tried, the sewing community, and what it was like attending Camp Stitch with a bunch of other Aussie sewists. Yes, it was everything you were thinking right now and then some. Here's my chat with Sarah. Welcome to the podcast, Sarah. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Before we get started, can you tell our listeners what you're wearing today? Oh, I wish I could say I was wearing something fancy, but I've been at home today. So I'm wearing a hemlock tee that I made in 2020 in just a striped jersey from the fabric store. And it's the comfiest t-shirt. And I've just been like repotting plants in it and sewing today. So I'm just, I'm in my comfies. I'm in my handmade comfies. <laughs> it's lovely. And stripes is one of your things, your fangs, yes. <laughs> <laughs> which I have discovered going through your Instagram. So your Instagram name is Sarah Eloise Sews. And your tagline is just a small girl trying to make clothes fit in a tall world. Can you explain what that world looks like through your eyes? Yeah, uh, so I'm five one, five two on a good day. So I'm I'm quite short, and a big part of the reason that I started sewing was just a frustration of like going to the shops and finding clothes that were like my size, which is like an Australian like six to eight typically, but then them being miles too long like the waistband would be down at my hips or if I got jeans I'd have to take like 10 centimeters off like to get them to actually fit which obviously throws off the proportions and so a big part of why I started sewing was because I could make clothes that would then be perfect for me and so that that's where that tagline comes from so making making clothes that fit me in a world where clothes aren't designed to fit really most people because the blocks that they design them on are so limited and I'm one of the people that miss out and I'm very fortunate that I still fit within regular size ranges particularly in Australia I'm very privileged in that aspect but it was a personal frustration of mine and so that's where that's come from. And another reason why you wanted to start sewing is because you wanted to step away you said from fast fashion so there was a documentary you watched called The True Cost do you remember yeah. watching that what was that documentary about because I haven't seen it. Yeah, so it was, um, gosh, that's, that's going back a while now. Uh, so that was a documentary uh, that covered sort of the impacts of the Rana Plaza collapse in Bangladesh back in 2013, I think it was. And so it detailed a few of the workers who worked in that area in Bangladesh, the conditions that they lived in, what it was like to work in those factories, and what is probably a surprise to no one in this day and age, their working conditions and living conditions there are pretty horrific it's a quote that came away with me from watching that because it's essentially a race to the bottom for fashion companies they're all trying to undercut each other in terms of how much they can produce for the least amount of expenditure on the product 
and the people who are getting ripped off at the end of the day are the people who are making our clothes and they're making our clothes in conditions that are you and I would just be horrified if someone said, yeah, that's the way you're working. And this building collapsed and over a thousand people died. And watching that um, documentary is sort of, it, it really opened my eyes to the toxicity of fast fashion. We don't need the clothes that are being marketed to us where it's like with Zara, it's like every couple of weeks they bring out a new cycle. And just after watching that, I was like, that's it. I just need to step away from this. I don't want to be someone who is bankrolling this industry anymore. And it really forced me to think about my consumption. And I still sew quite a lot, but I don't, I don't, the output that I have is quite small and it's getting smaller. So is there any ready to wear that you will still buy just because maybe you just don't want to make it or you know where it's ethically sourced? Yeah, so I'll try to do my research before I buy any new clothes. Uh, I have not bought, besides underwear and socks, I have not bought a brand new item of clothing since 2018. Wow. Um, I've either made or bought secondhand. So I will happily buy garments that are made by, like, but I will, I'll purchase them secondhand, but I, I don't buy brand new clothes anymore. I just won't do it. Do you think you'll make um, undies one day and stop buying them? Um, I do. I have made some underpants. They're just not my best work. They do look different. They're not going to look yeah. like the store-bought stuff. Yeah, and <laughs> I think as well, like, just sometimes, like, you want to make the fun stuff when it's a hobby, but undies, they're on the list. I've tried, and I'll go back to them. Um, bras scare me. I haven't made one yet. Um, I will. I'll do it. But, uh, yeah, that, that still scares me. So that's probably the only thing I haven't tried making properly yet. So interesting because you do love a challenge. Yeah. <laughs> just getting back to um, the reason why you started sewing is because you found fit really difficult. Whether you're a petite size, a plus size, or even a so-called standard size, like we all fall into that trap of believing there's probably something wrong with us for not fitting into these ready-to-wear sizes. So was not being able to fit into clothes, did that impact your self-confidence at all? Oh, definitely. Definitely in terms of height because I would be frustrated that everything looked like a sack on me. But also, mm. even though I'm small, like I'm still those regular sizes, like six to eight. So if I wanted to buy something in like a size six for my height, apparently my legs were meant to be really, really skinny. And I have a bit of an hourglass figure um, in that I'm a size eight up top and down the bottom but then a six at the waist and I think that's actually gone up recently as well and what I was finding was I just couldn't get the size sixes on even though they were right length for me mm. um, and then if I'd try on a size eight I could get them up but then they'd fall down at the waist so yeah. it, that definitely like when you don't fit into the things that you're pulling off the racks at the stores and again like my experience is definitely still one that is still fits within what would be considered the norm in terms of fast fashion but it's frustrating mm. and I can only imagine how frustrating it is for other people with even bigger challenges in terms of finding clothes that fit for accessibility needs and things like that. You're 27 years old now correct? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember how old you were when you started dabbling with fabrics and patterns? So I've always been around sewing um, and knitting and crochet and um, so my mum did it a lot when I was little so I think I've known how to sew since I was a kid. 
I was a teenager when I think a lot of like the fashion blogs and independent pattern companies actually started to really come out of the woodwork. So I came to that quite late in the piece. Um, but my understanding is that they were actually around in like 2010, 2012. So when I was sort of stepping away from that because I wasn't finding things that I liked. Like we would go to Spotlight because mum would be sewing something and I'd look at the patterns and be like, no one my age wears this. Um, because they're all like McCall's and stuff like that. They're very different now. But back then it was still very much like, I was like, this is from the 90s or this Mm. is from the early noughties. No one wears this. I'll look like a dork if I make and wear this. And then I got back into it after watching that documentary and just sort of pulling the pin on uh, buying clothes that didn't fit me uh, when I was 22. Um, I started, I got a sewing machine and I started up again, so... Because you started Instagram, well, your first post was in August 2018. So that's four years ago now, almost four years ago. So that was when you really started sinking your teeth back into the craft of making your own clothes. Yes. So the first garment you ever made completely on your own, I don't know if you remember this because I did my research, was the floral quick quick sew dress that you said took many months, not weeks, months of mistakes, tears and perseverance. Yeah. What do you remember about making that first dress? Oh, I still have it. I refuse to get rid of it because it's the first one I made. So I was really nervous about making that one and I didn't, I definitely didn't start off easy. I had a zip and it had a few other techniques, did it? Yeah, it had a zip, it had gathering, it had like elastic ruching on the sleeves, <laughs> it had a fully like fitted bodice. Um, what happened with it, gosh, this is going back, but I still remember it. So with the big four patterns, they've got miles and miles and miles of ease. And so I cut out a size eight according to my measurements and sewed it all up. I was so proud of it. And I put it on. It looked like I was going to go. And you know those um, old-fashioned photos where you dress up in like the 1800s gear and like you pose for like a sepia photo? It was so big on me. It looked like that. I think I just didn't, like, I I definitely remember trying it on, but I just think I didn't have, like, the skills and the knowledge to assess it that I was Mm. maybe not in the right ballpark in terms of it fitting. And so I put it on and I remember being like, is this what sewing is like? Uh, And then, so I called my mum and she was like, okay, yep, it's too big, that's fine. So you can take it apart and do it again. And I am stubborn and so I did that. Uh, took it completely apart, took it all down a size, and I'm pretty sure quick sew patterns only went down to an eight. So I actually took another, like I, I sort of manually graded it down to what would be a six. Probably did it incorrectly, but <laughs> and then sewed it all the way back up, and it fit, and it fit really, really well. And so that took, that definitely took about like three or four months because I was sort of doing it when I had a good period of time. When you start out sewing, it's really hard to do it in that like 10 minutes where you're like, oh, I'll just sew that seam. You need like two or three hours to sit down to do like two or three steps. And so it just took me forever to painstakingly get it right. But I was so stoked when I like put it on and it fit and it fit well. I was so happy with that dress. And that was the start of the journey. Oh, yeah. No, I think I, like, went out the next weekend and bought, like, a whole bunch of, like, other patterns and fabric and off I went. (laughs) Wow. So when you first started sewing, you did start off with the big four. So that's Vogue, McCall's, Butterick and Simplicity. Yeah. 
but you obviously had to cut the patterns down to size to fit your frame often because like you said there's a lot of ease in those patterns so yeah. what were the kinds of things you were looking at for adjustments like you said was it the waist was it the shoulders I think as I've gotten more experienced I've noticed more areas that need adjustment but for the big part it would often be bringing the waist up so where it fell naturally if it was fitted I would need to make sure that I was bringing it up like a good five centimeters the length as well on any pants or on a dress I would likely need to like double the hem length if not triple it and the under the arm side under here um, Mm. I'm gesturing this is a podcast your armpit (laughs) um yeah the arm (laughs) side as well often would fall very low so it would expose like a bra or a tank top underneath and so those were the big ones that I definitely noticed I think as well as I've gotten more experience like I still use the big four patterns I've actually just finished one the other day things like where the um shoulder seams sit like having to move them in or down to a drop shoulder because otherwise it sort of sits like right on the corner there. Mm. So what about the little bust things. for fitted garments? Did you find that they had the right cup size? I actually, after making that first dress, I actually think I moved away from garments that are fitted in that area. It's not something I'm the most comfortable with just in terms of like what I like to wear. Mm. So I haven't really, I think I did one more garment that had that kind of. um, Like a princess seam or something like that. Yeah. And I think the big four actually do that really well because when you buy the pattern, depending on like the size bracket and often they have like two sets now. So they'll have like, six to 10 and then 12 to 16 or 20 now, which is great. But what you'll find as well in the packet is they'll have two, at least two different bodice types depending on your cup size. So that actually made it really easy to ma- to get it in the ballpark of fitting. And I like a looser fit, so that was fine. There's actually a, I think it's a simplicity that I still use. And yeah, it's like eight, a to c and then eight d to f or something um that's probably incorrect but um (laughs) they have more than one cup size available with the actual garment size as well which i think is great it's obviously not 100 percent accurate because everybody is different again Mm. but But it's a guide it's a good guide yeah it made it a lot easier than it just being like a straight say like hc and then i'm like an a and so that doesn't fit um, mm. so that was really good. So after the big four, you discovered indie patterns and your sewing world just opened up yeah. <laughs> completely. Yeah. So in terms of sizing, what was the experience like sewing with indie patterns for the first time compared to those big four you were accustomed to? Just immediately nailed the fit every time. Wow. Uh, the, the effort that goes into indie patterns in terms of sizing, you can really see the difference. And that's not knocking the big four. It's just it is what it is. But you are more likely to get an accurate fit straight out the gate with the correct seam allowance uh, with the indie patterns because they just they, they put so much time and effort into that. And that's sort of, I guess, the niche whereas the big four, I feel like they still are like, oh, you're in this like size area. And so if they're like, they're like, okay, so you're an eight, but you could be like a six or a 10 and you might fit this. So yeah, definitely just the fact that the size 
would be perfect. I've also found that the length was great as well. All the options to lengthen or shorten were really well marked um, and in spots where I was like, yes, that will help. And also a lot of independent pattern designers now like publish hacks um, on their websites or they come with the pattern and they're like, oh, if you want to do this, try this. A big one was uh, the closet cord ginger jeans. On their website, they had this whole guide uh, if you wanted to do like this adjustment, like if you were finding that like it was too tight here or too loose here or you're finding that it twisted, like you could do different things as you were cutting out the pattern and you'd achieve the look that you were going for, which was great. I know you've made those jeans a couple of times now, haven't you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've got that pattern too, but I, I've just tossed it to the side for now. <laughs> oh, we all have a pattern stash. Like the, the, we'll get to it one day pile. I've cut it out. I hey, just find great. more pretty dresses that I'd prefer to make. <laughs> Isn't it funny too, when you first discover the indie world, you're like, what is this? And PDF patterns, like that just blew my mind. It's game changer. So good. Like, can you imagine if we didn't have that now? Like the sewing community would be very different. It would still be there, but it would be just so different. And the big four is owned by the one company now. So. Yes. Mm. Yes. I think they're technically the big six now as well. Oh. Yeah. What are the other two? Do you know? I'm putting the you on the spot. New Look and Birda. Mm. Yeah. So when it comes to your unique style, you once said you're drawn to a range of styles and patterns with no particular theme. So what draws you then to a pattern or a piece of fabric when you're walking in spotlight or looking online? In the beginning, it was, yeah, a little bit of a scattergun approach, I would say. Just anything that like I was excited by or um, I thought that, you know, was accessible in terms of my skill level. It's very different now, but yeah, in the beginning, uh, it, it's easy to like look at a fabric and that would be so cool to make into something. And you haven't worked out what that something is, but you know, you want to play with that fabric. Or you haven't worked out your style yet or your color palette. So you might like that that purple thing may look great, but on you, maybe it maybe it doesn't suit your style yeah style has definitely changed like 23 year old me and 27 year old me have completely different wardrobes so so tell me what colors you like to wear because i did read that you rarely wear black and it's so true there's hardly any black on your instagram feed yeah i don't like black um i think i have like maybe two black things in my wardrobe i definitely go for more earth tones these days so like rust burnt orange um and then I would instead of black I'll go for navy that's probably my go-to in terms of like what would it, a dark color mm. would be yeah mustard I've got a bit of blush pink in my wardrobe as well um about greens and blues I used to wear so much blue but I don't really anymore every now and then I will but it's kind of got to be a special piece for me to put something completely blue that's not like jeans together what about um, red and yellow ah uh, yeah yeah so like definitely in the more muted area though so not that like bright fire engine red or like <laughs> a sunshine yellow but uh yeah like a mustard or like a rust or um like a like moving towards like an orangey color like yeah i'll wear those colors quite a bit White is one of your neutral colours as well. You do yeah. wear a lot of white. Uh, yeah, white and cream. And the cream tends to photograph white. 
um, because I just use my phone. But yeah, I will. Yeah, I've got like white bottoms, or yeah, I'll wear like a cream top with a lot of the earth tone or the navy that I have. How yeah. do you go wearing the white bottoms? The first time I wore so, I actually posted. It's going to date this episode, but I posted today um, some pants that I made with Common Stitch from Brisbane, and they were a white twill. And the first time I wore them out, I went all into a friend's birthday, and she spilled sangria on my knee. So, and that took a lot of the nervousness out of it for me because I was able to get the sangria out of the white. And I'm like, cool, I can survive anything now. Wow. Yeah, I have a book of home remedies from my grandmother. And it's got like her little notes and stuff in it. And one of the pages is about getting red wine out of everything. So right, how do you get it out? So the trick is don't let it dry, which I did. Don't <laughs> do that. <laughs> if you, if it's still wet, dump salt on it and that'll draw a lot out. And then hydrogen peroxide, which you can get from the supermarket, you can get from the chemist. And that will, you've got to leave it in for like quite some time. Like you can't just like drop it on and then chuck it in the wash. You need to let it sit and draw out the stain. And then you're able to put it through just on a regular wash cycle and that should fade out the stain. Salt and oh, and vinegar apparently helps as well. Vinegar's good for so many things. I know. <laughs> and baking soda. Just keep yeah. those two things or bicarb soda. So you live in the city of Melbourne, which is often described as having four seasons in one day. Just like the Crowded House song, Don't Ask Me to Sing It. <laughs> do you therefore sew for all seasons or do you prefer sewing for a particular season? I definitely sew for all seasons. So I just recently finished a coat, um, which I need to actually wear out. It hasn't been raining all week and I don't want to get it wet because it's a nice wool. So I'm going to wait for a nice day to wear it out and about. But I have a habit of sewing <laughs> for the season that we are not in. I definitely love sewing linen and summery things. Definitely prefer those to winter garments but yes to survive in Melbourne and to like have a to have a me made wardrobe all year round I need to be able to sew for all year round because <laughs> we could have 45 degrees one day in summer but then it'd be 20 and raining sideways the next and in winter I think we had an eight degree day last week oh that's gross. disgusting <laughs> <laughs> it's winter here by the way for listeners in other parts of the world Yes, Southern Hemisphere. Yay. Mm, but it's been particularly cold. Yeah. Some people feel nervous working with knits, but you seem to be pretty comfortable sewing with both knits and wovens. Do you have a preference? Ooh, I think still woven. I think that I, I wear a lot more woven, but I do love a good T-shirt or comfy knit. I think the trick is that you just got to bite the bullet and do it. Knits are actually easier than woven. I know a lot of people will disagree with that. Your second make was a knit. Yeah. Uh, I think that it depends what you're going for because if you're going for something more fitted with a knit, then it's definitely, I can see why that would be scary. But if you're going for a T-shirt um, or a tank top or like a dress like the second garment I made, which was a knit dress, it's side seams and you're done. I am very lucky. My mum has always used an overlocker or, or a serger. serger. <laughs> yeah, in other parts of the world it's called a serger. And 
So I never. A lot of people are scared of that because it's quite intense. Because it cuts and sews. Yes, and so if you accidentally cut something, you're in a lot more trouble <laughs> than you would be with a woven. But she always had one, and taught me how to use it, and I just am comfortable with them. And so making knits for me has never been something that I considered to be scary. Mm. And they make they're a game changer in terms of sewing with knits. Like you can throw a t-shirt through the overlocker in That's under right. an hour. <laughs> so you wouldn't obviously bother sewing with the with a sewing machine after you've sewn with the overlocker for a knit, or would you? Uh, it depends on the kind of knit that I'm making. Uh, so I would probably do it for seams that are going to have a bit more strain. So for like around the arms, because you're shoving your arms through a t-shirt or whatever. Um, or a long sleeve top, I would typically actually sew the seam allowance and then overlock afterwards to seal the edge, but also just to have that extra bit of reinforcement, particularly for more fitted knits. So I've made a few Monroe turtlenecks um, or Freya tops from Tilly and the Buttons, and they're a lot more fitted, so there's more strain on the seams there. Mm. And so I do tend to double up. Speaking of Tilly and the Buttons, you are a big fan of Tilly and the Buttons patterns. You, as you said, you've made the Freya top, you've made the Stevie tunic, and you've done those in a lot of different hacks. In 2019, you also made your first pair of dungarees using Tilly and the Buttons Miller dungarees pattern. Yeah. And you, that was your first time top stitching, doing buttonholes and making pants like with the dungarees. Yeah. Do you remember that experience? Oh, yeah. I was so excited. <laughs> that was, yeah, that was a really great project. I was actually thinking about it today because I was working with some denim today. And um, when you press denim, it has a smell. And so that smell came. It's just the chemicals they treat the denim with. And that smell hit me and I was like, oh, I remember the first time that I made stuff with denim. So that was nice. Yeah, that was on my old machine too. So everything was very like manual and clunky and slow and scary <laughs> so you use a computerized machine now i do so i have a faf ambition 610 now um my first machine was an elna 2000 which was a gift from my mum to like get me started and it had a buttonhole function but not an automatic buttonhole function and you could reverse, but you had to sort of hold it down and maneuver and it was great. It did what it needed to do and that got me through till 2021. So that was a good machine. But the dungarees, yeah, uh, that that's a great pattern. I actually am thinking of getting those back out. They're a little – they don't fit quite right anymore. Um, so I think I might have to alter those so I can get them back in circulation. So that's the Miller dungarees pattern by Tilly yeah. and the Buttons. So let's talk about pants because you, you said finding a good pair of pan, a pants in the ready-to-wear world, I mean, that can be really hard in general, but even finding a pattern for pants that fit you can be equally as challenging. So one of the ones that you said worked really well for your frame was the, is it the Petra Pants by Closet Core Patterns? Do you remember oh, that one? Yes, yeah. I think it's Pietra, but I could be wrong. Pietra? Yeah, it's spelled like Pietra. P-I-E-T-R-A. Yeah. What yeah. did you like about that pattern? Uh, so it's fitted and flat at the front, but there's an elastic waist back. So you get that really clean structured look at the front, but it's really forgiving. So you don't have that 
issue, I guess, of the waistband not fitting quite right because you can just pull the elastic until it makes it work for you. And you also have the option of installing an invisible zipper so that you can get that fitted look at your waist, even if your hips and your thighs are a different size. So it makes it really easy to grade and that makes it a more enjoyable experience and you're able to tailor that end result to be exactly what you want. Mm. Did you have to make any modifications then? I think I took a little bit off the length, but beyond that, actually, no, because I was able to make the size by this time I was able to grade patterns a little better as well Um, I was able to make the size that fitted me best at the hips and at the waist by using that invisible zipper option um, which meant that I wasn't going to be straining seams pulling them up over my hips to then fit my waist so that I found that the the option to include a zipper just was a game changer for me Mm. plus the pocket construction is just it's so fun it's like a little jigsaw puzzle and then it all comes together and you're just like that's incredible it looks really cool the pants you made today or the ones you posted today how are they different from these ones do they have zippers and pockets as well yeah so the ones that i posted today and it is the 15th of july so it's the 15th of july post for people who are listening down the track they are the common stitch bottle brush pants so they are closer to i guess a pair of wide leg jeans they're different in that they're like fly front fully like constructed and solid waistband no elastic or anything like that but they're designed to be high waist so they the waistband is naturally designed to be smaller than the rest of the pants because Mm. they are designed to be a bit wider it's a completely different type of pant to the Pietra pants. Uh, so, yeah, it's a lot more fitted. Uh, you probably wouldn't use the fabric that I used on the bottle brush pants for Pietra pants, but you could make the bottle brush pants in linen. But, yeah, they're a lot more structured. Uh, there's hardware involved. Yeah, just very, very different. You are a slow and steady sewer who likes to take her time getting things right. That said, is it true your longest-running project, which took you two years to make, was the Tamarack Jacket by Grainline Studio? Yes. Why did it take two years, Sarah? Well, so for that, I pinned the Tamarack Jacket on Pinterest early, early, early on in my sewing career, but I really wanted a quilted version. And my aunt and uncle actually run a quilting business. They have a long arm quilting machine. And so people will like make their quilts and send them to them. And then they'll do like the decorative quilting. That's cool. Um, Yeah. Yeah. They're really good at it. Um, They're called On Point Quilting. They're on Instagram. They did not ask me to plug them. (laughs) They're in Clifton Springs in uh, the Geelong area. So yeah, they're one of two in Victoria I think long arm quilting companies uh and yeah I wanted to have a really funky quilted design on the jacket and they were in the process of getting set up on the machine when I got my fabric and decided what I wanted to do and so then we organized we took a little while for me to organize you know getting it top stitched with the pattern that I wanted and the thread that I wanted that was a very long process and then I moved house and sat on it for ages because I was a little bit scared of pushing that many layers because there was linen on one side, then the batting, and then the cotton on the other side. 
I was just scared of putting it through my machine and my machine like eating it or something like that. And then we went into the pandemic and I was like, all right, that's it. I've got to do it. I'm going to get it done. I've got nothing but time right now. <laughs> were you happy with how it turned out? Yeah, I love it so much. And the fact that like other family members were able to help me out with it was really mm, special. Definitely. So you said you've been a patent tester before. Actually, you've been a patent tester many times now for several different patent businesses. So one business in particular you've patent tested for a lot is United Thoughts. You've done the olive jumpsuit, Matilda dress and the Chandler pants. Is that right? Yeah, for Brittany, yeah? yes, yes. Yes. What is it like then being a patent tester? I really enjoy it because you get to chat to the designer and you get to see, like, I guess, the back end of their thought process in releasing a pattern and you sort of understand the pattern more intimately, I suppose. Uh, it really helps sort of you see like the end-to-end -end process in how it's designed so you understand the construction a little better. Uh, and particularly we get to help with instructions and things like that and make sure that, you know, they're readable and understandable for people. And I just like connecting with people in the community. That's one of my favourite things about being a patent tester. You get to talk to the other people who are testing uh, the patent designer. So I've made a lot of friends through patent testing. And for me, it's like a lot about just having fun with it. I definitely do less of it now because I'm finishing a degree. I still have a job. Um, so I, as we've come out of the pandemic, I've had less free time. It is time consuming, but if it's something, if it's a pattern that you're really interested in, it's a great way to uh, give it a go and make sure that you really do understand it. A lot of the time when you are testing a pattern, you can go back to the designer and say, hey, this doesn't quite make sense. Does this look right? Is this where it's supposed to do this? Uh, and they will give you that feedback on the spot, which is great. And I mean, a lot of designers would be happy to do that, even with their patterns released and out in the wild. I've been dying to ask you, and it was one of my questions later on, but I need to know now. Tell me what you're studying at uni. Oh, um, I am actually staring down the barrel of finishing my Master of Teaching. Uh, wow. So I'm going to be a secondary teacher next year, hopefully. And specialising in what? Uh, so history, psychology and English. So wow. that was what I studied in my undergrad. I took a few years off. I just wasn't ready. I always wanted to do teaching, but I just needed a breather first. I didn't feel ready. And then um, after the pandemic hit, I was like, right, that's it. I actually do need to go do what I want to do. And so, yeah, I've been doing that for the last two years and I am staring down the barrel of graduating in December, which is wow. terrifying. <laughs> that's awesome. I know you like to challenge yourself. We've already talked about this, whether it's a new technique, a new fabric, a new pattern. But for some reason, you didn't tackle your first pair of swimmers until this year. So what was it about swimmers that was so off-putting compared to like a pair of jeans that you've done many times? This is completely going to contradict what I said earlier about knits being easy. But <laughs> I think it was the combination of sewing with a knit and like elastic. Also, I mentioned before I had a very limited capability machine to start with as like, as part of my sewing and it tended to eat elastic. Mm. So I was quite hesitant to do that on that machine. But then I got my faff last year. Um, I got it at the end of summer or I would have made swimmers earlier. And then it was a case of finding a pattern that I liked. I was sitting on the, the actual like sewing pattern but a pattern of swim fabric that I liked. And I managed to stumble across a Liberty remnant in the fabric store. And I think there was, oh, 
it was shreds left when I finished cutting out that pattern. And that was sort of what gave me the push to do it. I was like, there's only this much fabric. It can only be swimwear. I have a swimwear pattern that I really like. It's time to just do it and get it done. Wow. Good on you. Now you can make some more. Yes, that is the game plan. I actually do have some other swimwear fabric kicking around in my stash. I just, you know how you you have a list of like things you want to sew and then you blink and you've shuffled your list entirely. Things get bumped. Yeah, they're just the second pair of swimmers is going to keep getting bumped for a while, I think. Not when summer gets a bit closer. Maybe you'll change yeah. your mind then. So before COVID hit, there was this amazing camp that so many people got to go to called Camp Stitch Sydney. What is Camp Stitch Sydney? What was that experience like? So Camp Stitch was started by uh, Katie of Kaleidoscope Katie and a few others whose names are currently escaping me. Sorry, guys. <laughs> you're awesome if you're listening. And they organised this weekend getaway. Um, you could buy a ticket um, and there were classes and workshops um, and it was just, it was so good. I think there were like 60 of us that went, three of us flew up from Melbourne together. I'd never met these people in person before in my life. And it was just the sewing community hanging out for a weekend. So it was everything you are imagining right now. It was just heaven. And I'm an extrovert by nature. So I was just in my element. I made heaps of friends. I still chat to them and learned so much. I learned how to do tambour beading from Cat Makes. She's incredible. Like she's an incredibly skilled maker. If you go look at her beading projects, they're insane. And we taught Cat all about um, kookaburras and how they kill things. Which you know. <laughs> Tell me that you slept in bunk beds and you toasted marshmallows on the bonfire. We did both of those things. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> did you sing songs? Oh, I can't remember if we sang songs, but it was it, there was definitely a campfire. Yeah. I really hope that they do it again. We mm. were going to do it in 2020, but the pandemic obviously ruined everything. But I was going to go back and have another really fun time, no doubt. So hopefully one day it happens again. So you have a deep appreciation for the sewing community and the way they've supported and encouraged your sewing journey. Can I just read something that you wrote on your Instagram? For someone who has often struggled with feelings of isolation, shyness and social anxiety, the inclusivity and kindness of this community blows me away every single day. Do you find that support and encouragement still resonates with you today? Yeah, definitely. The community was really incredible, particularly if that was written two years ago, that would have been like peak pandemic. I hated the pandemic. I, I don't know anyone who liked it, but I really like deeply struggled with it. Like I said before, I'm an extrovert by nature. And so being cooped up in Melbourne, of all the cities in Australia. The most locked down city in the world. Yep. <laughs> we felt it. That was really, really hard. And so the sewing community was a real outlet for me during that time. Um, I was in daily contact with a whole bunch of people um, who I do consider to be friends. And just the way that everybody is so supportive and cheers each other, each other on. If you're offline for a little while, people often reach out and like check in. And I know I've done that for other people as well. Just be like, hey, haven't seen you in a while. Is everything okay? And I just think that's, in this day and age, that's so wholesome like there, there really is no other word for it it it's just so utterly wholesome to have people who are just happy coexisting together there's no drama in the sewing community it's just a bunch of people with a shared passion who are very very happy to be there and 
it's so fabulous to have that. I wanted to mention one special friend you made through the sewing community. You're probably going to guess who I'm going to say. It's Mel and her Instagram is melt.stitches. Yeah, how did you How did you meet? So, fun story, we've never actually met in person. We just started chatting. Uh, we both made sewing Instagrams. I think uh, she started in 2019, so a little bit after I did. And we just realised that we were talking, like, a lot. And it got to the point where we were talking all day, every day. And, like, we'd share tips, advice. And it's, like, to the point that, like, we're friends outside of sewing. And just the last couple of years, we haven't been able to make meeting up in person work. But, yeah, she's She's in Brisbane, isn't she? Yeah. So So that's what a good, I don't know, if you you flew, it would only take a couple of hours. But if you drove, it might take you 20. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's. It's a good, it's a good hike. Um, yeah, one day we'll make it happen. Uh, we've just our lives have been going different directions the last few years, um, but we're still in very frequent contact. Um, I've been offline a bit recently just with my degree, but yeah, definitely like my closest friend in the sewing community. She's just such a like such a lovely human being. She's a cheerleader for everybody. Uh, she gets so excited about what you're doing. She's just a beautiful human being inside and out. And, yeah, I, I'm i so lucky to have met her. I did want to ask you, you've mentioned a couple of times now, like sometimes it is hard to keep on top of this hobby, especially now that you're studying your master's. Is it hard also then not to feel the pressure to post and make, post and make, especially when your numbers are so, growing so much? I think you've got 8,500 followers now. Yeah, there's definitely a bit of pressure there. I've actually been feeling it recently. but. At the end of the day, I'm pretty firm about this being a hobby for me and the Instagram was a place for me to share it. If zero people were following me, I would still be posting. So it's up to me when I post, but I work really hard to make sure that I don't let the algorithm get to me and it's often the algorithm that causes that pressure. It's definitely not the people following you. It's definitely not the people that I consider to be friends or the rest of the community. It's the fact that Instagram wants you to post, 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 post. And I'm also really conscious that, like, I don't want to be producing, like, I don't want to have output for the sake of output. And so I've really slowed down in the last two years because I've had other things on the go. I just haven't had that time. When I do have the time, like, there's, like, a spike (laughs) in my usage of the platform and what I'm posting. But, yeah, it is really hard, particularly on a social media platform where you are rewarded for constant engagement. And if you aren't constantly engaging with the platform, you are almost penalised um, because the bots will unfollow you <laughs> or you will your posts don't get bumped as much in the feed and that kind of thing. And at the end of the day, for me, it's not about that. And I just have to remind myself of that a lot um, because it is so easy to get swept up in that, I think. And then it doesn't become so much fun anymore. Yeah, mm. exactly. And I want to keep it fun because mm. that's why I started as well because it, it, it's a hobby at the end of the day. All right, let's play the game. Are you ready? Yes. So you have to answer in one word or one sentence if you can. Okay. Which one of these is false about you? You love cats. You love coffee. You love singing out of tune. You love skiing. Is that a trick question? <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah. they're all true. They are all true. <laughs> Sorry to my neighbours who hear me singing out of tune. But... 
As I mentioned, you love skiing and you've been doing it since you were two. Would you ever try making a one-of-a-kind ski outfit for yourself? Oh, if I could find the fabric, I would consider it. You'd it's be the more... most trendiest person on the slope, Sarah. That <laughs> you can figure so it out. Fun. I would love to do that. Um, <laughs> I have thought about it, but yeah, uh, one day we'll see. True or false, your mum once coached you on the phone on how to insert a zipper into a dress after you had a mini meltdown. Pretty sure that's true. Would that have been your first dress then? Probably, the... yeah. Yeah. I just had to do it a few times because zips are mean, but yeah. <laughs> Did you once say this, if you're going to hack something into a button-up, leave extra room for actually putting on the buttons? Yeah, that sounds like something I would say. <laughs> but only in the early days. You wouldn't yeah. do that now. No. <laughs> You've made a lot of Ogden camis over the past four years, but is it ever Ogden cami season in Melbourne? Yes, for approximately three hours on like 3rd of January. <laughs> I suppose you could always layer them with cardigans and coats. I've done and... it with a turtleneck a few times. Oh, yeah. It really the... works, yeah. So instead of under, yeah, you put it over. Yeah. While helping with a clean out one day, you came across your grandmother's vintage 1950s Singer sewing machine, which had hot pink thread in it. Are you also a fan of hot pink? No unfortunately um <laughs> i have no idea to this day what was what was the last thing sewn on that machine but no i made something that looked hot pink once and very quickly realized mm, not my style so yeah you have the most gorgeous cat named bug what does bug like to do when you are hitting the sewing machine uh either sit on the table she's staring at me now she knows we're talking about her sit on the table and stare at me until i let her on my lap for pats or ignore me completely from the other end of the apartment mm. true or false you also dabble in knitting crocheting embroidering and you even made a pair of sandals from the shoe camaraderie that's true <laughs> i have my knitting over here on the table <laughs> you've been a very prolific crocheter lately you've made a lot of tops yeah, it's really easy. Like I like if I'm going to watch like TV or something instead of be at the sewing machine and particularly while I've been on uni placement, I'm just like I'm too tired to sit down. At the end of the day, I've been wrangling kids all day. So I'll sit in front of a TV show and it's just something to do with my hands while I watch TV. It's great. I also attended many lectures while crocheting this year. Ooh. I passed. Is that allowed? Um, well, they're all on Zoom, so. <laughs> so I just like hold it like under the screen. I promise, like I'm not doing it right now. But <laughs> no one can see on Zoom if your hands are down here and you're you're um, crocheting. So I got quite a bit done that way. If you are not 100% happy with a make, you will go back and fix it. That said, have you been known to unravel a whole jumper back into a ball of yarn? Yep. Oh, that's so <laughs> sad. <laughs> more than once <laughs> i just think of the hours of work that went into that yeah it was worth it in the end why shouldn't you drink wine and then buy fabric because you buy much more fabric than you actually need and you've done that before haven't you yes <laughs> retail therapy <laughs> yeah. last question could you please hem my pants for me in exchange for a soy flat white what about two soy flat whites? <laughs> there would need to be a croissant thrown in as well, and I'd have to like that person quite a lot. 
It was from a TikTok video that you posted. Thank you, Sarah, for being such a great guest today on the podcast. Oh, thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the Australia Sews podcast. If you know someone from Australia who would be great to have on the show, email australiasewspodcast at gmail.com or send me a message on Instagram at australiasews underscore podcast. You are more than welcome to nominate yourself. You can also find me on Instagram at make underscore thrift underscore sew. Now, back to sewing.